Hello, everybody. My name is Reese Garlinski, and this is Young History, episode 77 on Costa Rica. The capital of this country is San Jose, with a population of around 400,000 people. And the name Costa Rica comes really, really early in this history, so I'm going to say that when it comes up in the chronological history, as opposed to doing it when we usually do it, which is right now. And we're just going to get into some facts. So sometimes this country is called the Switzerland of Central America for reasons you will soon see thinking about how Switzerland is viewed for its neutrality and things of sort. We'll see that soon. And also, there is no standing army in Costa Rica. They just have a strong police force, but there's actually no official army and no military to enlist in. They also have both white sand and black sand beaches from um, ash. Like the white sand ones are the softer sand on the west coast. And in the east coast, there is the more black ash volcano beaches. It's very cool. And just for fun, just so you guys know, there's actually 121 volcanic formations and over 500 species of wildlife in Costa Rica. So, truly, this country is absolutely crazy. It's literally so gorgeous. It's one of the few countries I've actually been able to visit in my life. And I've driven through pretty much the entire country. And it was just gorgeous top to bottom. So, I'm not going to dilly-dally too much longer because I'm very excited to talk about this history. And explain to you why Costa Rica is in the state it is now, which most people know is very unique compared to not only Central America, but a lot of the rest of the world. So just want to say thank you all so much for being here. And one more time, my name is Reese Garlinski. This is Young History, and this is Costa Rica. Let's do this thing. Our origins begin millennia ago when people that had crossed the Bering Strait in the early Arctic Age started to work their way down through the North American area, down through what we know as the United States, through Mexico, and down into the Yucatan Peninsula, and all the way down to Central America. These people would be the original inhabitants of the Costa Rican land, and they would make up this land for a very long time, up until... The Europeans arrived, but before the Europeans arrived, this would be the Dequis civilization. They were the most notable one pre-colonial in Costa Rica. They survived for a few hundred years, and they were famous for their pottery, their gold crafting, and most famous of all, for these igneous rock round sculptures. That can still be found throughout all of Costa Rica. The exact reason they exist is still unknown. There isn't enough records or evidence behind these people's beliefs to explained to us why they built these, but they are still on different parts of Costa Rican land, and it's very interesting. Then things would take a shift in the 1500s when European discovery would happen. During Christopher Columbus's fourth voyage, he discovered this land and called it the Rich Coast because he thought it had great promise and believed that there would be gold and silver and things there. So Rich Coast ends up making the name Costa Rica stick forever. The first settlement was established in 1524 in Villa de Bruselas, but this one would be abandoned because it was in an unstable area and there was issues with the natives in the area at the time, as well as issues from volcanic activity. Then the village of Cartago would be established so that it could take advantage of the fertile soil in the area. And by the time this happens, natives to the land, mostly Caribs, either died of disease brought by the Europeans or started to flee into the forest areas that never got fully urbanized. So this is kind of the end of major interaction between Europe and the indigenous people, which affects a lot of the history of Costa Rica because a lot of countries have to deal with 
not to say deal with, but there is an interaction between the Europeans and the native population. And that usually creates a lot of racial tension and creates a lot of time where the Europeans are taking advantage of the native population, either enslaving them or killing them or using them for other purposes, which is terrible because you're using human beings. But in this case, there was so small of a indigenous population that they couldn't even when they were at their full power and all the areas that the Europeans were in, they weren't even big enough to be used as a labor force in the eyes of the Europeans. And then they started to flee and some of them sadly started to pass away from diseases. So the interaction just drops to almost nothing. So the indigenous history doesn't end here. These people still have many settlements, especially now in Costa Rica today, but they had a lot of settlements in the forest. They had small enclaves within some European communities, but they were never big enough to be taken advantage of or be really heavily discriminated against because they fled and they got out of Dodge and got away from the European influence, which was one of the smarter things they could do because it made, even though it lessened their population, they were able to spread out into countries that the indigenous population still had some footing. The Viceroy of New Spain saw Costa Rica join under Guatemala's jurisdiction within this Viceroy. But even though it was under Guatemala's jurisdiction within the Viceroy, they still had their own autonomy internally. The lack of gold and silver in the land caused it to have very few inhabitants from the Europeans, and it was heavily neglected compared to the more resource-rich, at least in gold and silver, regions of Central America. And this remained the case throughout all the 1700s, as Costa Rica never exceeded 25,000 inhabitants until after the late 1780s. This made Costa Rica really poor and sparsely inhabited. By some explorers, it became known as the poorest and most miserable Spanish colony in all of America. But it wouldn't be long after this that independence would actually come. It came under the Kingdom of Guatemala, which claimed independence in 1821 when Mexico defeated Spain because Spain was now weakened after Napoleon of France had overthrown the earlier Spanish king. So this led to Costa Rica being able to claim an easy, bloodless independence because now that Mexico was independent, Guatemala became independent, and that brought Costa Rica with it. And from this point on, it's just all Costa Rica forming their identity and protecting their independence and becoming the country we know them as today. So the Federal Republic of Central America was the first federation that Costa Rica helped form in the early 1800s, and they joined in 1823. But Costa Ricans didn't like the way the other Central American countries carried themselves, meaning that they were very violent. There was a lot of wars happening both internally and externally with them. So after only 15 years, in 1838, Costa Rica would cut ties with this federation. Juan Mora Fernandez was the first head of state, and he encouraged the building of roads and other forms of infrastructure expansion, and his wife actually designed the first flag of the country. During his regime, he had to deal with the Nicoya-Guanacaste region issue, which was a southern region of Nicaragua that actually broke away to become part of Costa Rica because, just like Costa Rica, their values more aligned with things that the Nicaraguan government was not doing, and they felt that ethnically they didn't connect with Nicaragua as much either, so they joined Costa Rica and... The border issue here would last for centuries and go back and forth for a really long time. It was never so bad that war broke out, but it got really close a few times. But as of today and since this time, this Nicoya-Guanacaste region has been a part of Costa Rica despite being originally part of Nicaragua. After San Jose was established as the permanent capital in the 1830s, a man named Bralo Carrillo became the head of state and established himself as leader for life. He is known as the father of the Costa Rican Republic because it was under his regime in the 30s that Costa Rica did break away from any external federations. Carrillo also started to offer land for farmers as long as they would grow coffee on it because this was around the time that Costa Ricans discovered cultivating coffee would be hugely profitable for them. He would then partition construction workers to have roads built 
to connect the farms and the highlands to the Atlantic coast so that things could be shipped out to Europe. And because of this, coffee was being exported to Europe by the 1840s, and this led to Costa Rica getting a reputation for very, very high-quality coffee because of how good their soil was. So he really helped establish a whole system of coffee growth, coffee exportation being very strong and systematic. Francisco Morazan was a former governor of the Federal Republic, and he actually overthrew Carrillo when he invaded in the early 1840s, in the year 1842. His rule made people fear that Costa Rica would rejoin the Federation, so in September of that same year, the Costa Ricans staged an insurrection that actually deposed him and pushed him to be executed on September 11th. So he came back with those ideas that were the exact thing Costa Rica broke away from the Federation for, so it wasn't long after that they got rid of him. Costa Rica started to see a lot of growth after the Morazan regime. Costa Rican coffee became the main export and it revolutionized the nation. It brought enough money to build a railroad to the Caribbean ports, as well as building other ports and roads that would help them export even more goods. And this was huge because at the time, Costa Rica had only a few ports on the Pacific side. So anytime they were shipping to Europe, they would go out into the Pacific, go down under all of South America, loop up under Chile and Argentina, and shoot north through the entire Atlantic to get to Europe. It is ridiculous how long that would take. So the establishments of ports on the other side, which just cut that entire part of going under South America out, just shooting straight through the Caribbean into Europe, was saving literal years in their time. And a big thing with the coffee industry was it actually benefited most Costa Ricans, and this goes back to that thing with there not being a big indigenous population that was being taken advantage of or enslaved, because the government was going to really push this coffee growth and coffee cultivation, so they encouraged their people to either own a farm or buy land on a farm, and they would either help them get roads, or they would cut them on taxes, or they would help them grow the plants themselves to build wealth, so pretty much top to bottom, citizens of Costa Rica were benefiting from the coffee trade, be that they were rich coffee owners that were making huge money, or they were a small-time farmer just getting by by just selling some coffee to the government to sell out. Thomas Guardia was a dictator, but he actually convinced the large business owners and large coffee exporters to support his regime because he said coups are bad for business, and this brought stability for a time because all the big business people care about is money. That's been true since the 1800s. It's true today. So he appealed to them by doing this. And he made many reforms, such as making the military controlled and checked by the people, kind of a checks and balances thing. He brought fair elections between conservative and liberal parties, and he granted universal individual rights and deeply expanded public education, kind of similar to the U.S., like it literally writes in the Constitution, you have these rights as being a member of Costa Rica, and we are not allowed to take those away from you, kind of unalienable rights, the whole thing we say here. And all these reforms really made Costa Rica unique in its region as they were one of the most peaceful nations. They were not facing any wars and they were having great exports and now good education as well, which was not common at the time because a lot of these lands had suffered so much from wars with colonial powers and had issues with the native population being enslaved and there being uprisings. And then by the 1800s is when most of the world starts to wake up and realize that they're stupid for trying to enslave other people and try and hierarchy people based on race or anything so costa rica isn't dealing with this issue because they didn't do it they were just focused more on getting a better economy getting better education so they're smoking a lot of these colonies that were built on a lot of racist regimes the election of jose rodriguez marked the start of a lot of democracy in the country as he was elected as a member of a non-dominant party so the military stepped in to actually halt the election but the people didn't like this neither did the church so the church actually organized the citizens of the country to stand guard at the election and prevent interruption and this is where it's like democracy is present because nothing says democracy and stable democracy more than like the actual people of the country standing up for their right to elect who they want and their vote counting and 
carrying out democratic processes without the help of military or the government. It's literally them standing up to the military and the government. So it's very impressive. The early 1900s saw suffrage and political campaigns expanded and democratic values were spread even farther. One of the only coups and times of instability in Costa Rica came with the Tinoco brothers. They staged a coup in 1917 and got both Jose Tinoco and Federico Tinoco into power. Their regime faced a lot of opposition, especially because the U.S. didn't recognize it, and this made them paralyzed in the trade industry because the U.S. not recognized them, made Europe not recognize them, and trade slowed down heavily. So because of this, people in Costa Rica started to suffer as now they weren't making as much money, the economy wasn't stimulated, things of that sort, which was all directly caused by these two people ruling. An uprising started to begin, and during these uprisings, the first brother, Jose, was actually killed by the opposition, and Frederico saw this and started to feel the pressure from the international courts, realized he lost his brother because of this, and he ended up going into exile, leaving all power in the country back to the people of Costa Rica. And this would be the last military rule in Costa Rica. Democratic constitutional elections would fall until pretty much after World War II. Another major figure was Rafael Calderón Guardia. He was a former coffee industry juggernaut, but he refused to instilled dangerous policies, and he actually reformed his kind of big business mindset to become a politician, and he led the country after World War II and began working with the labor parties, which were actually very communist, and he installed the first labor laws as well as social security laws in the country. In 1948, though, he was a part of a election scandal because the fear of communism was big in general, just in the entire world. And Calderon was being kind of shady as he was adding Catholic church members and communists to be members of his cabinet. And then with this large cabinet, he tried to prevent the incoming president from taking over. This president was Jose Figueres, and this issue actually led to a civil war. The brief civil war in 1948 saw the guy who was supposed to become president, as I just said, Jose Figueres, who was known as Pepe. He ended up leading a he ended up leading a military junta against the government, and he trained an army of militia on his private farms to form the National Liberation Party, which would end up being a huge political party for the rest of history in Costa Rica. And eventually, he would be able to win the civil war by overthrowing the government, and Figueres would take power. And he had 18 months of pretty much uninterrupted power, where he pushed for a lot of change. By the end of those 18 months, it was 1949, and the Constitution was actually rewritten. In this Constitution rewrite, labor rights were expanded, voting rights were fully given to women and black people, and the army was fully abolished because the idea that a military junta could occur, the logical deduction to them was if you get rid of your military, you can't have military rule, and military rule is not what they wanted, it's less democratic, so you get rid of the military, that issue's gone. So it's... Crazy to think, and it's definitely scary on the international level to not have a military, and it does come up with them later, but this was what they did, and it's worked out for them pretty well. Over the years, the policies that were first pushed by Caldron were expanded as insurance was nationalized and expanded, and so was the banking system. Figueres would win re-election in 1953 and 1970, and the National Liberation Party would be very dominant from the 40s to the 70s. Then, in 1978, Rodrigo Carrasco Odio would be the first president not of the Liberation Party to win in decades. Then, in the early 80s, we saw Oscar Arias Sanchez win the presidency, and he inherited a really tough time as the war up north in Nicaragua caused the U.S. to become involved in Central American politics, and international issues caused Costa Rica to be $5 billion in debt once he inherited the country. And Arias was facing protests to both reestablish the military and to maintain peace. So the country was split. Things were going back and forth. People in Costa Rica felt very threatened by this Nicaraguan threat. So some wanted the military to come 
back, and others were more of the idea that just pursuing peace would lead to peace. So it was interesting. It would be Arias that actually formed a peace plan that united all the Central American countries behind a plan to settle the bad tensions that were happening inside some countries and internationally. And this was a risk because the U.S. was opposed to the war in Nicaragua ending, not because they wanted the war to go on, but they thought, the United States that is, thought that there was a correct side and they didn't want there to be a neutrality. They wanted their side to win no matter what it costed, where Costa Rica, Arias, and the other Central American countries, including Nicaragua, just wanted the war to end. So it would actually be the policy of Arias that ended the war in Nicaragua, and for this he was actually awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 1987. By the 90s, he was unable to run again for presidency because there was term limits of this kind at the time. But he would walk away being one of the most successful leaders of the country and very well received when he came in and when he left. The economy in the 90s was very up and down. Peace in Central America helped tourism in Costa Rica, but hurricanes that hit, as well as the national debt that hadn't been erased, were still a huge issue. And it wasn't until the two major political parties of the country the came together and actually supported the president that came in, who was not of the National Liberation Party, Miguel Angel Rodriguez. And because of his presidency and the way he started to govern a more united Costa Rica that had both of the major parties on the same side, he was able to attract a lot of foreign investment, especially in the technology sector, which really started to help stabilize the economy and eradicate that debt that was plaguing Costa Rica for so many decades. Early in the 2000s, the government removed the doctrine that limited presidents to one term, and this actually allowed the Nobel Prize winner, Oscar Arias Sanchez, to make another run for president, and he would win the election in 2006. He created ties with China, thus ending 60 years of subtle ties with Taiwan that Costa Rica had had. He started a referendum that saw Costa Rica become the last country to agree to the Central American Dominican Republic Free Trade Agreement where now the Central American countries could trade with a lot of the Caribbean countries, especially Dominican Republic, very freely. Costa Rica held back on this for a long time because they were just very against getting involved with foreign politics. They just didn't want it because they just see what it does to the other less stable Central American countries. But they ended up agreeing to it, and it helps trade internationally. Laura Chinchilla actually became the first female president of Costa Rica when she was elected in 2010, but her regime faced a lot of issue because... There was a lot of scandal around the election, and her cabinet faced a lot of resignations, so she didn't have a great chance of getting reelected. And that brings us to more recent history, where Costa Rica has faced corruption in politics, as their last presidents have had members of their cabinet arrested for their shitty involvement in tampering with elections, and just like with Chinchilla's presidency, there was a lot of resignations. And the former president, who was president during most of COVID, was Carlos Alvarado Quesada. He faced criticism for using a system called UPAD, that allowed the president to collect and view data on the Costa Rican people. In his eyes, he was doing it so that he could make better policy, but the people within Costa Rica saw this as a big compromise to their privacy. And his approval rating ended up spiking down by the end of his presidency, but overall he was not viewed terribly because despite this, he did handle COVID really well. Costa Rica was a country that didn't see a lot of deaths or infections, and he shut down everything. And that pretty much gets us to the present where... COVID really killed the tourist industry, which was a major part of Costa Rica's economic sector. And this weekend, the economy heavily and the gaps of inequality started to widen. And the country's national debt did start to go back up because of COVID, as less exports were happening, less tourism ha was happening, all sorts of things like that. But things are still good. They aren't as great as they were a few years ago, but Costa Rica is still in a great place because Costa Rica has been decades and decades removed from war. They've been very far removed from any internal struggles with any population feeling abused. They don't have any bad 
blood with Europe. The most annoying thing they've ever faced was in the past few years, issues start to rise up with that old border between them and Nicaragua. And it got so bad that the international community was really pushing for peace, but Nicaragua actually started to mobilize troops there on this river region of the border. And Costa Rica doesn't have a standing army, so they mobilized their police force, which made things seem really unbalanced. And Costa Rica actually went to the Greater International Court for this. It ruled in favor of Costa Rica. And now jurisdiction of the land is kind of split, where Nicaragua is allowed to do river dredging, as long as they're operating within Costa Rican standards, and as long as they aren't destroying the environment, which was the biggest issue Costa Rica was having with it, because Costa Rica is one of the more green friendly countries in the world it's ranks in the top five every single year for how much solar power it has and how little carbon emissions it has and that isn't the only thing that's going well costa rica is also considered one of the happiest places on earth the lack of war great tourism stunning landscape beautiful beaches nice environment and really really friendly people have encouraged this place to be great and it's been very friendly and happy and many years in a row it wins happiest country in the world it's won it many years of the past decade and even since 2020, it has won at least one time. So the country is in a great place, and it ranks high on the Human Development Index because of its well-developed cities, great rights, and beautiful tourism industry, as well as beautiful landscape and country itself. So Costa Rica is doing wonderful. Costa Rica is in a really great place. It's not perfect because no country's perfect, and don't let anyone lie to you and say Costa Rica's utopia or a while back we did Iceland, and people claim that's kind of be a utopia, but anyone who lives there is like, uh, no. So don't let anyone tell you it's perfect, but as someone who visited, as someone who's now studied a lot of the history, it's a great country doing well, doing a lot better than most countries in the world, but they all still have issues to face. There is still economic issues. There's still economic gaps that still need to be addressed, but the country's doing really well overall. And with that, that gets us to the end, where I always like to leave it with a takeaway or a kind of mindset to get from this, and with Costa Rica, that is... Only pursue actions that fully align with your morals and character. I say this with Costa Rica because Costa Rica has, for over a century, maintained that it does not have a standing army. It has stayed out of wars, it's stayed out of international conflict, and the only thing it's done when being involved with international conflict is literally lead to the peace. They have been a part of only the peace and the end of war in Nicaragua. They have negotiated with the U.S. to keep the U.S. away from interfering. They have stayed out of world wars. They stayed out of international conflicts. They stayed out of discriminating against communists. They stayed away from all of that. They've stayed away from literally anything that is violent or discriminatory or anything of that sort. Because of that, Costa Rica is currently one of the happiest places, most peaceful places on earth. It's doing incredible. They're doing great. The people are happy. Tourism's booming. When I visited, they're famously happy people. And at the time, I was younger and didn't speak any other language or I really had the comprehension to learn because I'm a white boy from the suburbs of the U.S. And the people there are super sweet. Even though there was language barriers and there was issues, they are nothing but sweet and caring. And yes, I did spend time on resorts. I didn't meet every person in Costa Rica, but it's a thing they're literally famous for. Costa Rica lives by the phrase Pura Vida, which means simple life or just life. And the meaning of it is that Costa Ricans are proud of their way of life and their peace and happiness and kindness is a way of life that they push and pursue and constantly stay with. And the reason they've been able to stay with that is because they have for centuries stayed their moral path. Their governors, despite there being bad ones, but their governors and presidents have stayed their moral path and aligned with everything they believe is right. They've only done things that they feel are correct. They've only been out of wars, not trying to start them. They haven't tried to colonize. They never tried to start an empire. They never got greedy with their coffee industry. They've simply just wanted to help the people in the country, help the people out of the country, just be a good country. They want to be good people, be good, happy people, and they pursue peace. I'm getting ahead of myself, but all that can connect back to you, where the odds that you make a decision 
that you know goes against your morals and that decision ends up being the better decision of what you could have made is so, so, so slim to none that you should pretty much live by only do things that align with your moral code. And of course, it's going to sound like grandma you like stick to your morals and be a good person, but it can be hard, man. We've all been teased with temptation. We've all had moments where we could choose to do something that's rude to someone or we could choose to do something in secrecy that is not great to someone else in your life. That is scary. And sometimes you could think in your head, oh, the benefit of doing this thing is pretty great. Some people cheat. Some people will steal from a place they work at. Some people will do a lot of things. And it's scary because sometimes you'll see this benefit and you'll think, okay, what is this? But that looking over your shoulder, that worrying about it, that have to worry about you know, people only knowing what you want them to know, balancing lies. I was a lying kid, man. I used to lie all the time. I used to lie in high school. I used to lie for no reason. People would ask me what I did today. I would expand on it for no reason because there's no reason to. I would lie, 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 lie. I didn't have to. I didn't have bad parents. I didn't have parents that made me feel like I need to be secretive, but I just got fixated on keeping secrets. And a few times in my life, it screwed me over. I've spun myself into a web of lies and it's been terrible. And it's been a point where I couldn't escape and there was no way to lie yourself out of it. And that's only comes from not telling the truth. That only comes from I did things at this age that didn't align with my morals. And when I did them, I knew consciously they were not the right thing to do. It was some things in my relationships. It was some things in my friendships. I was talking shit behind people's backs. I was doing a bunch of stupid things. And I was telling some people the truth and telling some people lies to the point where it literally caught me wound up in a bunch of lies that literally had the rug of friendships pulled out from under me because I was being so stupid. If I would have just told the truth from the start or only told people the truth and not told them lies, I would have entirely avoided the whole situation. I wouldn't have had to balance, oh, does this person know this? And that's applicable to everyone. When you're telling the truth, you don't have to remember what you say. It's an old saying, but it's the truth. If I, if I know that on this day, I spent time with this person, I tell my girlfriend, I spent time with this person, you know, and I tell the full truth. I don't have to remember that I told them that because it's just the truth. They'll know the truth, I'll know the truth. And when they bring it up later, you'll just be like, that is correct. You don't have to be like, oh shit, what did I say? Did I, did I tell them I was with... Jonathan, when I was actually with Jackie, oh, that's so bad. No, you don't have to do that because if you tell the truth, it's just the truth. There is no back behind it. It's just the truth. There's just backbone. There's no like backtracking behind it. So I say this all connects back to Costa Rica and all connects back to you because as long as you are doing what that country has done and make moral decisions that align with who you are above all else and in the hardest of hard situations, choose to pick what aligns with your character that you are either currently proud of or want to build do things that only align with that, your character and your morals over anything else, you will more times than not, extremely in favor of the more times than not, end up on the good side of things and end up things being good than not. Because the benefit of lying is so thin, the benefit of not giving people the full truth and manipulating to people in your lives and manipulating yourself into believing things, it's just such a slippery slope and it's just guaranteed to weigh on your mental where the thing you need to live by is it can be hard to make the best decision. But whatever decision you are making in your life, if it is giving you in long-term what you want or short-term what you want, it is giving you what you want and it is caring for the emotions of other people that are important to you, that you have control of, be that you choosing to end a relationship rather than cheating, you choosing to move on from a job truthfully rather than being sneaky, like any of those things where you directly face the truth and say it rather than doing the sneaky roundabout way of doing something, I can almost guarantee you that every single time you doing that right thing, even it'll be super hard, even though you'll probably hurt someone, the hurt of the truth is such a clean, beautiful cut as opposed to like the truth of betrayal and lies and all that coming out. 
Never in my life have I benefited from hiding something that eventually came out later. It's always worse. We see it in the movies all the time, but we're still all stupid enough to do it. So I'm going to say with you one final time, tell the truth and just stick with your morals. And if your morals tell you that this is the right thing to do, listen to it. Cause that will probably be the thing that gets you the most net benefit because the people in your life will see you as truthful. And that is means they will invest in you and all things of that sort. So with that being said, that was Costa Rica. I got super tangent there, but it was just, it's a fun history to me. And I got very passionate about it because thinking about it that way really made it connect to my life where the biggest thing I've been working on these few years, despite the work I've done in the gym and the podcast and in school, all that, the one I want to work on the most was getting rid of that Reese that used to lie all the time and complain and just constantly be in this utero of, oh, who knows this? And did this person, does this person know I talk shit about them? And it's just insane. And I'm a dude. It's, it, there's no reason for it. So me personally, that's what I think is the best. And for all of you, I hope something of that clicked for you too. And either way, dude, I'm just some kid in college. I don't know a thing. You don't need to listen to me. But I'm just saying what I pulled from this and what my lesson was from this. And I got to tell you some cool history of a very beautiful country. So, so with that being said, truly, thank you all so much for being here. This was one of my most fun episodes in a long time. I always love when I get all into it and it's just great to see a great country man like a lot of people there's so much genocide and war and disgusting slavery and all that and so many of the countries we do especially as we're in this still earlier sector we're not to like the huge countries yet there's just so much bad and of course there will be a lot when we get up there too but it's just fun to see a country that has done well and is famous for having good people that are kind and has a beautiful landscape and a beautiful history so it was a very fun one i liked talking about it in general and i'm very glad you guys came to listen so thank you all so much for being here and one more time my name is reese Rolinski. this is young history and that was costa rica thank you all so much y'all have a good one